You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And we are talking today. Uh, first, we'll get into World Wide West and, and World Wide West and Leon Rose going to the Knicks. Uh, you should know why that uh, will to. You should know why we'll be talking about that. And then, of course, Kentucky at Tennessee. Uh, and then a little bit of uh, SEC Player of the Year talk. Uh, where, where's Nick Richards stand in this race? Who else is out there? We'll discuss that. Kyle is working on something that'll uh, that'll be out, hopefully, by the time, maybe. Yes, pray- prayerfully, if, yeah. uh, <laughs> if we get one more voter in. yeah. But we begin with... Um, uh, just a crazy move in basketball to think that you would take a sports agent and then make him your team president. I guess I, I can understand the Knicks. The Knicks have been so horrible for so long that at this point you're just like, well, let's let's just try something different. Let's just, you know, do something that hasn't been done. Yeah. Leon Rose is the um, – he, he wasn't – he sold his agency to – CAA and then be and then so he was representing formerly LeBron James. Currently he represents Carl Anthony Towns as well as Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, a bunch of others. But World Wide West is also going to the Knicks, uh, and he was a consultant. Is his title? He's never had a, an official title of anything ever. He's just been a mover and shaker in the world of basketball. And he is his. Uh, I saw something about maybe basketball ops guy, but it says a role to be determined. But Leon Rose and World Wide West. So Calipari has a relationship with both of those guys. Is Leon Rose Calipari's agent? Or uh, was at one what? time? I should know that. I I think so. Um, I, or I, I know I know CAA is his agency. I should say um, right. Uh, let me, I'll pull up his contract while we're talking and see if uh, yeah. Leon is on on it. But obviously, um, uh, the connections with Calipari are huge. I mean, World Wide West has been, um, you know, accredited with getting Derrick Rose to John Calipari at Memphis, getting John Wall to Calipari at Kentucky, uh, among other players. Uh, but he is, you know, he's been on – to many times he's been to Rupp Arena and been at UK games, uh, goes to the tournament uh, and hangs out with the UK. I mean, Calipari and World Wide West are big time buds. And then there's a relationship there with Leon Rose. Well, and yeah. And also, uh, Wes is like one of Kenny Payne's oldest friends. Okay. Um, so, so there's another connection. They're actually better friends than, than, than Cal. Cal. I mean, they, he was World Wide West got his start by hanging around the, the Louisville program in the eighties. Uh, and so he, he was, uh, you know, Milt Wagner and all those guys yeah, buddies. And that's when, uh, that's when Kenny was at Louisville. And so they're, they're very, very good friends. I mean, um, uh, Kenny's first work as a coach, uh, after his pro career was with an AAU program in uh, Detroit. 
um, that um, World Wide West was a sponsor of or affiliated with. Um, and sort of he, he sort of got the ball rolling in, in many ways for Kenny's career. So there, there are a bunch of connections uh, there. You could, you could even say, hey, if Wes could pull Calipari to the Knicks, then that opens the door for his buddy Kenny to finally get his shot at Kentucky. And I do, mm-hmm. by the way, I do think if Cal were to suddenly leave, Kenny would very much be in the mix. I think he is very high on the list of options for Kentucky. Well, you know, that, I mean, that's that's something else entirely. Yes. Um, thinking about Kenny Payne, would he want to become the head coach at Kentucky? Would he want to yes. go into the <laughs> NBA with you know with John Calipari? He could possibly be on his staff in the NBA. Yeah, I think he'd um, want to. I think he'd want to be the coach at Kentucky if I had to yeah. guess. Uh, well, he definitely wants to become a head coach. There's no secret about that. Um, but you know, the headline in the New York Post right now, or, or when we're recording this, which is a little bit before midnight on Thursday, it says the headline says "World Wide West joining Knicks comes with John Calipari twist." So they have to hire a head coach. Um, if not now, when? Right? We John Calipari uh, did more than flirt with the Cleveland Cavaliers. It seemed pretty. Uh, he was pretty close. Uh, got pretty serious with them. He's admitted that and said that it all really came down to what like, he, he says it's what his overall purpose becomes. And his overall purpose with Kentucky, what he can justify it with uh, that's better than winning games in the NBA, is that he can change lives, that he impacts the lives of these young men who become sometimes their first college you know, student or college graduate. But definitely the family's first millionaire and uh, when they make that kind of life-changing money it takes care of the whole family and then that takes care of a generation and that impact is huge it's not just you know I know we probably get tired of hearing it and all that stuff but it it's a real thing I mean when you change uh, an entire family and that family going forward like that family doesn't have to worry anymore this you know this this young man is making the millions to take care of the generations to come. So that, so I can understand where if if you're you know debating that, well, if I'm going to do this, this is the best the best place to do it. If I just go to New York, then it's just about winning and losing. Um, I'm not impacting young men, as we've seen. You know, trade deadline. It's all a business. Andre Drummond came out and said, "There's no friends. There's no loyalty. I've given my life to Detroit, and you know." No heads up, no nothing. Pack your bags, you're out. Um, and that's the kind of business it is in the NBA. So I don't know that Calipari wants that. He's like it's already he's already crossed that bridge. But you never know what Leon Rose and and World Wide West are going to say to him if they want him to come to New York. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess I guess I just. Uh... I'm I'm increasingly skeptical skeptical that Cal is is going back to the NBA. You know, I think maybe that ship has sailed. Um, I think also Cal Cal doesn't want to go to the NBA and fail. Um, you know, does the the storied franchise angle to it? You know, the it's the New York Knicks. I mean, if Cal could be the guy, just like if you win a title at Kentucky. Uh, if you can be the guy to lead the Knicks back to glory, then obviously you 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 even 
further cement your sort of legend as a coach. Right. But well, he doesn't. Want, he doesn't want to go fall flat on his face. And the Knicks are a disaster right now. I mean, they they're are. they're not close to competing. I mean, not close at all. Um, well, let, don't finish your point yet. Let's finish it on the other side of this break because uh, we got to get to one, and then uh, Kyle will uh, continue with his thoughts on Calipari to the Knicks idea when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. You are locked on Kentucky. Your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. Okay, we're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and we ended last break talking about, you know, would it be a possibility? What, what, what John Calipari may be thinking, what what he's looking at in the Knicks organization. And uh, right before we went to break, Kyle, you said uh, the Knicks are uh, an absolute disaster, and they're nowhere near being uh, a team uh, that you would compete. It'd be like you know going to one of the worst teams in the league and trying to hope that you succeed. Yeah, I just I think it's you know if the Knicks were in, were even a little close to to contention, but I do they have money to go out and get people? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I can't pretend to know like the ins and outs of that. I just don't follow yeah, I don't the know NBA either, yeah. uh, closely enough. I just I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical of this until something really starts moving because he like I said he's not going to go fail. He he won't go back to the NBA and fail. Um, because then it, you know, the only the only reason to go back to the NBA is to right the wrong of you know you felt like you didn't get enough of a chance the first time and I mean we I think we may have mentioned this when Kobe Bryant passed like if he had been allowed to draft Kobe Bryant as he wanted to you know he can envision a scenario where everything goes great for him as an NBA coach mm-hmm. um, and so if that's in the back of your mind. I get that, but the only reason, the only way you go back is if you know you're not going to fail again. I mean, if you go back to the NBA and get fired, then you know it's just a stain that like you couldn't do it. Um, well, yeah, you can't go back unless you know some things are in place, whether it be money or draft situation, in addition to a player coming up that you yeah. believe can carry a franchise like a Zion. And we, there's not one. In and here's the draft. thing: like Dolan is awful. He's maybe the worst owner in the NBA. I mean, he's just an absolute disaster. Uh, and that's not going to change. And, you know, I, I don't follow it close enough to know what their uh, financial status is or whatever, uh, the numbers, but I do know, I follow it closely enough to know that their their owner is a laughing stock. And, you know, fans of the Knicks want him to sell the team, which he's not going to do. So, right. you know, I just, can, can Cal and a guy like that even coexist, you know, as egos and personalities? I, I just... I don't want to burn too much uh, even thought or energy on this until I hear something that makes me think there's there's much to it. And right now, I just don't. We should have texted Brett Dawson and seen if he was free for like you know five minutes. Yeah, maybe you this. know if this if it keeps the buzz keeps going, maybe we'll get him or or we have yeah. at the athletic we have a Knicks guy we could uh, get him on to talk. Um, but uh, the one other thing uh, that I'll just bring up that has is that the the expiration date on coaches since Adolph Rupp at Kentucky seems to be uh, around the 10-year mark. Like Right, and like Cal has our, said that. I mean, he said yeah. it all along, but he also then said he didn't think he'd be this energized 10 years in, and right. you know, this is the start of phase two, and he signed this quote-unquote lifetime contract. I mean, he's set up, that's the other piece of it too. He's making NBA coach money now. I mean, he makes more than most NBA coaches now 
and he's right. guaranteed for a decade, and then he's guaranteed a cushy six-figure, high six-figure job forevermore after that, or however long. I mean, he'd be giving up a lot of, of security and just perpetual winning. I mean, you know, he's he's only ever going to have such so much of a bad year at Kentucky. You know, ebb and flow, but he's going to be good to great every year at Kentucky for as long as he wants to be here. And, and the media stuff, I, I know that he says, I don't listen to it or whatever, and I'm not going to call him thin-skinned, but he does react to what's out there in the media. He and totally Kentucky, listens to it, yeah. Yeah, and, and here at Kentucky, it's a fishbowl, but it's not New York. It, that is a, that's an animal. That's a vicious animal that's like going for the jugular and ripping your throat out. Throat out. It's, I mean, more than half of the people sitting there uh, – listening to Calipari or showing up to his interviews uh, are, are interested in seeing him do well. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they've, he's not got people who are just after him. So uh, you, you mix in that New York media. Uh, it's, it's maybe not for, for guys uh, uh, at Cal. I mean, I, I just don't know. It would be a lot. It would be a lot to deal with. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I agree. All right, so let's move on from that. Coming up, we're going to talk about SEC Player of the Year. Uh, Kyle's uh, been working on uh, kind of polling uh, some of the writers across the Southeastern Conference uh, to find out who their Southeastern Conference Player of the Year would be right now, and we'll talk about that uh, shortly. But let's let's get into this game against Tennessee. I, I hadn't realized. I know that Kentucky's had a tough time playing at Tennessee, and I know that Rick Barnes is – has really been a thorn in Cal's side since he arrived over there. And then you go back to Bruce Pearl, of course. But I didn't realize how tough a place Thompson Bowling Arena has been for Kentucky recently. So yeah. so Tennessee has won the last two. That The last one was in the SEC tourney, and then they won in Knoxville. Kentucky won in Lexington last season. Well, the Vols have now won four of the last six. Since 2016... Kentucky has lost at least once each season to UT. Once in each of 2016, 17, 18, 19. Kentucky has lost at least once. Twice each of the past two seasons, Kentucky has lost to Tennessee. Kentucky has not won in Knoxville since 2015. Lost four in a row there. Since 2013, Kentucky is 1-5 and five in Knoxville. And UK leads the series in Knoxville 54 to 52. And when I started looking out through the rest of the conference, if you look at the ones who have been there all along, so if you take Arkansas, Arkansas has not been there all along. They joined kind of late. Kentucky's eight and seven in Fayetteville. So still plus one there. Uh, South Carolina came in the same time as Arkansas, but. They used to be West Division, East Division, meaning they would play Kentucky Wood, South Carolina twice, home and away. And Kentucky's 20-8 and eight over South Carolina. So those are the two old newcomers. The new newcomers, Missouri. Kentucky's 4-1 and one over Missouri. And then 3-2 and two over Texas A&M. So you know, take out Texas A&M, Missouri, Arkansas, South Carolina, and go to where we're talking about the numbers are like 43-17. and 17 against Georgia, right? 31 and 18 against LSU. On the road, you're saying? Yes, on the road. Yes, this is just on the road. So Kentucky, and you can include every team in the SEC, Kentucky still has a winning record 
against every team in the SEC at their venue on the road. But the slimmest, the slimmest is Tennessee and then Alabama of the traditional right. Southeastern Conference teams. Well, and the other thing is just like under Calipari, it's by far his worst record on the road. Uh, he's lost six times in Knoxville. Yeah. Um, I mean, six times in 10 years. That's, that's tough. <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, that that is, I mean, it's there's nothing even close to that. Uh, and one you know, year they didn't even go down there because when they, when they right, put they it had back. A one, they only played them once and it was in yeah. Lexington. Yeah, so I think he's I think he's three and six uh, in Knoxville. Um, and just overall, they've lost six out of ten to Tennessee, and they've lost four of the last six to Tennessee. Right. Um, you know, that, that's been a tough team, but it's been a really tough place. And that – it doesn't really matter if they're ranked or they're not ranked. Now, Tennessee's been really good some of those times, but sometimes not. You know, 2013, Kentucky was ranked, Tennessee wasn't, and they lost by 30 points. That was the game after Nerlens Noel got oh hurt. And it was – it was yeah. maybe the most hopeless I've ever seen Calipari. He sat down and just quit coaching. Uh, the team at one point. Right, yeah, that right. was the I can't coach you to Archie Goodwin. 2016, yes. they were ranked 20th. Tennessee wasn't ranked, and they lost in Knoxville. Um, 2017, they were number four, and they went to Knoxville and lost. And mm. and Kentucky, uh, Tennessee was unranked. Um, so it it doesn't necessarily matter that Tennessee's not great this season. It's just a it's a it's the biggest now the biggest arena in the SEC. Now that Rupp is downsized, and they went back and forth battling anyway, um, and then when Kentucky comes to town, they fill it up, you know, and they fill it up right. a lot anyway. I mean, they, Kentucky, Tennessee's got a good basketball fan base. They do, yeah. Um, but they hate. I mean, Tennessee and Kentucky hate each other. Uh, and, and Rick Barnes knows Calipari so well, not just as like friends, knows his basketball sure very yeah. well. I yeah, think that so, obviously I mean, plays into it. Yeah, it's. It, it will be that that's why I kind of threw it in with those other games against just in general, much better teams and made it, you know, we talked about the previous three Saturdays on the road, but I, I think it's, it's four straight, you know, four a month of Saturdays on the road in this league or, or in plus the Texas tech game of just brutal challenges because that environment will be, you know, as good or, or crazier than, than the three before it. So um, and Tennessee's not like awful. They're still above no. water in the league. They're five and four in the conference. Uh, you know, they won at Alabama, which is uh, you know a pretty pretty solid win. Um, they they've won three SEC road games, not against the top half of the league, but they've won three times on the road. Um, well, played Kansas. Else. They played Kansas great. Um, they did. You know, yeah. on the road in in the Big Twelve Challenge. So. Well, I think another indicator of when a team is is not awful when you're looking at them is when you look in the the the, the statistics and see where a team ranks, you know, throughout the conference and and well, Tennessee leads the SEC in several categories. Blocks, I mean, and Rick Barnes is always going to have good defense, and they do. 6 blocks a game, that leads the that's 7th in the country, Tennessee, 6 blocks a game, 5.9. Assists 14.8. I mean, that's another sign of a team uh, that that is good enough to beat you. Is a team that shares the ball. I mean, almost 15 assists a game. That leads the SEC. Scoring defense, uh, 61.5 points a game that uh, Tennessee is allowing. That leads the conference. It's 20th nationally. 
So that tells you a little bit now that what they struggle with is the scoring. They they limit opponents to 61 and a half, but they only score close to 67 points a game. Uh, they don't draw a lot of fouls. Um, they don't shoot the three particularly well. Uh, they do turn it over a little bit, and they don't turn people over. Uh, but when you're looking at scoring defense, block shots, and sharing the ball, I mean, that's, that's a formula for being in ball games, sticking around and giving yourself a chance. Yeah, I think I think Tennessee's just the style, the way Barnes has them uh, ready to play is gives them gives them a chance even when they're a little less talented. I mean, it is amazing they lost basically three of the best players in the entire history of the program. Yeah, um, you know they were number one a lot of last season. Uh, what were they a two seed in the tournament? Um, and you know you talk about Grant Williams, a two time SEC Player of the Year. Um, you know, Jordan Bone was was a All SEC point guard and got drafted, um, and then Admiral Schofield. I mean, those three guys are are legitimately three of the best players Tennessee has ever had. They lost right. all of them, and they're still competitive. That that says a lot about Rick Barnes. I mean, people have sort of panned him over the years because he didn't you know go to more Final Fours with some of the talent he got at Texas, but he did go to a Final Four. He also went to an Elite Eight. He also had Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he got some great players there, and he started to get uh, better players in on the recruiting trail at Tennessee. They've got a top five or ten class coming in. Um, but also, just as a coach, I think he does um, kind of regardless of what he what pieces he has. He always puts a team out there that's really competitive. If you look at Texas, it was like fifteen out of his sixteen years they went to the tournament. Uh, you know, and they won a game or got to the second weekend most of those years. So to, to underestimate Rick Barnes, I think, is foolish. And then Tennessee, what Kentucky's been able to do against some of these teams recently is take away their best player. Like Anthony Edwards had struggled. Reggie Perry struggled. Um, Texas Tech's top scorer struggled. But, well, Tennessee, that's, that's not the case. They don't have one guy who does it. There's Jordan Bowden, uh, Bowden. Like, you know, get Lynn Bowden in your head. Uh, averages 13 points a game. This Santiago Vescovi, the point guard that they brought in to replace Lamonte Turner when he went out for the season, 10 points a game. Uh, Ives Pons, or I don't know how you say his name, Pons averages 11 points a game. John Fulkerson, 12 points a game. Uh, James averages 8 points a game. So they spread it around. They've got several guys who uh, score in double figures. Uh, four guys who score in double figures and a fifth who eight points a game. So they spread it around so that you can't really key in on one guy and stop him. But uh, Bowden, Jordan Bowden is their kind of their guy, though. All right, well, we're going to take a break here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And when we continue, as we talked about, that we would talk tell you about is uh, Kyle Tucker's unofficial poll uh, of this uh, uh, for, for conference player of the year, SEC player of the year, right now as it stands. Is Nick Richards, uh, where does he stand in this? And who, who else is in the mix here? And we'll discuss that when we return on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Kentucky is a great way for your local business to reach passionate UK fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with UK fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, let's put your company right here 
on this Locked On Kentucky podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com forward slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcasts.com forward slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. We're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and as promised, uh, we're discussing now SEC Player of the Year. Uh, We talked about it before that Nick Richards has to be uh, considered one of the favorites, one of the front runners for SEC Player of the Year, and really I felt like uh, it was a two-horse race with him and Reggie Perry, and that's kind of how we talked about it going into that Mississippi State game, that this was uh, Nick Richards showing what kind of player he is versus Reggie Perry doing it in a big, you know, on a big stage and seeing who comes out on top there. And that might uh, have a little something to do with uh, Conference Player of the Year. But uh, there are a couple other guys uh, that are going to be uh, talked about, one being Anthony Edwards, and I don't think he should really be in the conversation for player of the year. He's a great talent, but what he's done so far, uh, I don't, I don't think he's making his teammates necessarily better. He's not, he's taking the bulk of the shots. Uh, I mean, he's a great talent. Don't get me wrong, but he's not, he's not an efficient player yet. I'm not um, impressed with him as, as far as a player of the year candidate. And George is awful. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's a big knock against him. Uh, George is awful, and there are some really good players on much better teams. But the other one is what you said. I mean, he, he, I think he's like 50 more field goal attempts than anybody else in the conference. Yeah. He's averaging 16 shots a game. Um, and he's only shooting about 40% overall. Um, he's yeah, he's if a great if you're talent. you're putting up 16 times a game, you need to be averaging 50%. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you people of that volume, you hope are, are in, you know, 32% from three. It's he, he takes a lot of bad shots. He shot Georgia out of the game against Kentucky, but he is on the list. So I, you know, as we talk about, you know, where is Nick Richards in this? Who who might be the SEC player of the year? It's it's a, a much more up in the air race than in a lot of years. You know, last year, I think it was Grant Williams pretty clearly most of the year and then, you know, P.J. Washington went on a tear, and it was basically going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, went all the way down to the end. Um, this year, it's not quite as clear, and uh, you know there aren't a lot of great teams, and there aren't a lot of just clear head and shoulders above everybody players. I thought going into uh, the game against each other, Reggie and Nick, uh, that that was going to be you know an important part of the race. Um, because I thought those were two major contenders. I thought Reggie was probably the leader at that point. Um, and so I wanted to, I, I guess I just wanted for my own curiosity, and I felt like maybe readers would feel the same, to get a sense for where is the race right now. So what I did, and I don't, I'm not going to give t- too much away. I'm, gonna give, I'm not going to give the results away because I'm not sure if this will be published by the morning, by Friday morning, but it should be published at some point Friday. Um I polled one writer from all 14 SEC teams, um, including John Clay on Kentucky. I didn't want to cast a vote myself uh, in my own poll. I wanted to yeah. get 14 different people all way, all across the league, um, all for major outlets covering uh, 
basketball programs in the SEC. And I asked them all to give me their top three uh, in order candidates for player of the year. And I weighted the votes in reverse order, three points for first place, one point for third place, and so on, and tallied those up. Uh, and, and because I'm not sure when it's going to publish, I'm not going to tell you who won, but I will tell you that it's a four-man race. Uh, and it's Reggie Perry, Nick Richards that we already talked about, Anthony Edwards that we already talked about. Right. And then the fourth guy is Mason Jones, who I'm not sure that, you know, the fan at large has is as, as aware of as they should be. <laughs> well, I um, took – I don't know how many shots I took at trying to guess it before we started this podcast, and I did poorly at it. And then when you told me, I went, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. the guy who leads the league in scoring. Right, right. Yeah. He – I guess I've been more dialed into Kentucky, and his he's done a ton of his damage here lately. He's on a pretty remarkable heater. He – has scored 104 points in the last three games. So two 30-point games and then a 40-point game all in a row. Uh, He is the only player other than Jody Meeks and Shaquille O'Neal in the SEC in the last 30 years with multiple 40-point games in a season. He's got two this year. That's amazing. I mean, he Mason Jones is lighting it up at Arkansas, and Arkansas is good. They're much better. I mean, they're, they're hugely improved over a year ago. Um, so, so he's going to be in that race. Um, so I'll just tell you, those, those are the guys. And I would say Nick Richards, based on feedback, and I, actually, I also asked everybody that I polled to give me a few thoughts on the guy that they put first. And I'll just say that Nick Richards is very much in the thick of the SEC Player of the Year race, which is really, when you think about it, it's remarkable. Um, he's been consistent. He has been. I mean, but just to go from, you know, four points and three rebounds as a sophomore to potentially winning SEC Player of the Year, if there was a most improved player in the league and maybe in the country, Nick would be the guy without almost without a doubt at this point. Um, and then when you look around the, the Southeastern Conference, who's the most dominant big man? And you can only come up with Nick and Reggie Perry. I mean, there's some other big guys out there, but not quite like those two. Yeah, and in the head-to-head, and now they weren't necessarily head-to-head because EJ did so much work on him. But in their right. head-to-head matchup, on the when they were on the floor the same night, Nick had 27 and 11, and he, and Reggie Perry had 14 and 8. Um, yeah. And I think that factored into some of the people's votes in this. You know, I had people saying, some of the voters saying, you know. I might have I might have said Reggie before this. Now so several people voted for Reggie Perry. He's he and Nick are, are going to be battling this thing out. I think and Mason Jones. I think those. I think that's the clear top three. Edwards was was above all the other kind of stragglers that received votes. You had guys from Auburn and LSU because I think some people felt like they needed to put somebody from the two top two right. teams in the league. Yeah. Um, but Edwards made the cut above all those there's still a pretty clear delineation between him and the other top three. I mean, it's, it's right now it's Richards, Reggie Perry, uh, and Mason Jones. And just to give you some, some numbers in terms of as you, uh, people are listening to this and maybe debating in their own head, uh, Reggie Perry leads the league in double doubles. He's got 12 and rebounding 10 a game, fourth in scoring 17 a game and fifth in field goal percentage. Uh, and he's averaged 20 and uh, almost 20 and 11 in conference play. Nick Richards leads the league in field goal percentage. He ranks second in double-doubles with 10. He's third in rebounding and third in blocks, and he's 13th in scoring. But in conference play, he's averaging 17 and 9. Um, 
He's got five 20 and 10 games this season. And then with Mason Jones, he leads the league in scoring, almost 21 a game, almost 20 over 22 a game in conference play. He's fifth in steals. He's top 10 in field goal and free throw percentage. He's also averaging six rebounds and almost four assists a game. So, um, you know, those are three guys who kind of have done it in a bunch of different areas. You know, they're, they're good right. across the board for um, three good teams. Good to very good teams. I mean, Mississippi State is a you know a bubble team, but they'd be a nothing team without Reggie Perry. Um, so it's it's I think it's really a, a pretty tight race, and with we're at the exact halfway point of the conference schedule. Nine out of eighteen games have been played, um, and so everybody's got the back half of the league schedule to sort of state their case. Kentucky's got another game against Auburn. They were at LSU. Uh, they've got two games left against Florida. So Richards can really make a case if he, you know, he's right there. He, he is, he's gone into the home stretch, you know, near or at the top of the player of the year race. And so now he's got a chance to go win the thing. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, a t- team like LSU and, and Auburn and then say, well, you know, you got to have somebody from, you know, the top two teams in the league. Well, it's because they're, they're very balanced and it's not that Kentucky's not balanced. Uh, but Richards is a little more, you know, dominant. But, like, Samir Dowdy um, yeah, is 15 points a game. I mean, he's good, but he's the SEC Player of the Year. Isaac Okoro, again, very good, 13 points a game. Javon McCormick, 11 points a right. game. You know, Like, Okoro's probably your freshman of the year. Pearl might be yeah. your coach of the year. But I don't know that there's a guy that you could point to and say that's, like, a clear-cut player of the year. And it's yeah, the same it, with LSU. I mean, Skylar right. May's got a couple votes in this thing. You know, but he's just like again, kind of like good solid stats, right? Um, well, at LSU, their entire starting five uh, average double figures, right? And, and that's mean, another, you know, that's a real split. You know, like on a on a given night, Emmett Williams looks like you know looks right. like the player of the year, and Trendon Watford has had several games where he was like twenty five and ten, and you thought, wow, okay, maybe you know. He's well, one of the Darius Days shows up big sometimes too. And yeah, and it's, it's definitely guys. more spread out. I mean, you yeah. know, Ashton Hagen's got one vote in this, um, and that's another case. Like he's probably going to be your repeat SEC Defensive Player of the Year, right? Um, and that's the thing. I could probably much easy, more easily sort out some of the other things. Like Hagen's is probably Defensive Player of the Year. I would say Okoro's the Freshman of the Year. I'd mm. say Coach of the Year is. Probably either Pearl or Musselman, depending on how Arkansas finishes. I don't think anybody's given that award Will to Wade. Will Wade, no matter what <laughs> LSU does. Um, and then, so then player of the year is kind of the one that's the real major coin flip right now. Um, it's, and real, I would say too close to call for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the next time we talk to you will be on, um, on Monday going into uh, Valentine's Day week and following whether or not Kentucky is able to break its uh, four-game losing streak in Knoxville. You know, the Kentucky hasn't won there since 2015. Uh, I don't know what the line is, but I, I would I would think maybe Tennessee might get a little bump because of that history right there. So we'll see. That's a 1 o'clock game on CBS. Uh, first CBS game of the year, uh, of the new year, I guess, of, of 2020. Uh, as as they you know Super Bowl's over now, so everybody starts to shift its focus a little bit to the the NCAA tournament. Everybody starts paying attention in the month of February to see who's good, and uh, so Kentucky will have 
you know, a nice spot there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. And sometimes I tweet during the games and sometimes I don't. And it's usually because I'm at a youth sporting event and that will be the case on Saturday. So <laughs> I will uh, I will watch the game when I get home. From I'll a, be in uh, Knoxville, so I'll be uh, tweeting away. Uh, you'll have it for us. All right. So we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>